In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about invisible inheritance, the inheritance of genetic mutations in cancer and what all that can do to our relationships or what we fear it will do. My daughter Nia is now 14, a freshman making her way through the uncharted waters of high school. Her body is changing and her relationship to breast cancer is also changing. When I was diagnosed, she was little, and the ways in which it touched her life were purely through the lens of what cancer fighting required of me and the time and closeness it leached from our bond. But over these next years, as she becomes a young woman, she'll learn that she has her own story of breast cancer. It will be a story of vigilance, a story of waiting to see what her body will do. When she was about eight years old, puberty began to stir within her body and tiny breast buds grew on her chest. Having grown up surrounded by knowledge of breast cancer, when these hard little buds appeared, she was absolutely terrified. I will never forget her coming to me ashen-faced to ask if she had breast cancer. And at first the question took my breath away. But then came the sweet relief when I was able to reassure her that her body was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. No rogue cells here. When I was the age my daughter is now, my grandmother was four years out from her own experience of breast cancer. I was vaguely aware of cancer being something that had touched our family, but I became much more aware of my grandmother and her breast cancer when she was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer when I was 18. I remember looking at my own breasts in the mirror all through my 20s, whispering to myself, don't get too attached. You might not have them forever. I think I did this because it was my attempt to control something that was out of my control. If I couldn't change what my body would do, maybe I could change my mindset around it. I hate to think of my own daughter having the same whispered conversation to herself, desperate to be okay with something that's not okay. I was diagnosed when I was 35. Although so far we don't have any known genetic history to predispose her to breast cancer, the protocol states that Neil will receive her first mammogram at 25. While mammograms are not tools of prevention and nor are breast exams, they can be useful in buying time. So I will empower my daughter to know her body, to do monthly breast exams and familiarize herself with what is normal and what is not so normal, so that whispering in the mirror is not her only defense against what may become a family legacy. My guest today is April Wren. April has her own story of being sandwiched between her mother and her young daughter with breast cancer swirling all around. The essay you're going to hear today was written back in 2019. April was diagnosed at 36 with stage 2 IDC, which was hormone receptor positive, 
She also carries the PALB2 genetic mutation. Hey, April, welcome to the burn. Hi, April. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, my name twin. I'm so glad to yes. have you. So April, you're reading a piece you wrote called From Mom, I Got Strength, Led Zeppelin, and Pal B2. And as I mentioned, I originally published your piece in 2019 in the genetics issue of Wildfire. After you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, April, I'll let you take it away. All right. From my mom, I got strength, Led Zeppelin, and Paul B2. It's midnight. My husband and our daughter are watching the Netflix remake of she on the television. I'm finally relaxing for the first time today. I've got a glass of wine, a little weed, and a big glass of water. Tori Amos is singing sweetly to me through my headset. I'm starting this essay that I've been procrastinating on for no other reason than I didn't know how to put any of this into words. At 36 years old, a day before Valentine's Day, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. My mom had been diagnosed a few years before me, and my husband had always been on my case to have a mammogram. Between work, life, stress, and one of us always being the stay-at-home parent to our daughter, it was one of those things that just got lost in the background. This year, however, he was adamant, and this year I remembered. They found my stage 2A DCIS at my first mammogram. Of course, biopsies and ultrasounds followed. There were five growths, five of these genetic fuck-ups that would forever change my life. I say genetic fuck-up because that's what it is. I carry the B 2 genetic mutation, a gift from my mom, who in all likelihood received it from her father who died of prostate cancer. And chances are I've given it to my beautiful four-year-old daughter. Just another thing she can hate me for in later in life. And maybe she won't. I certainly don't hate my mom for it. She's been my stalwart ally, my strength, and most importantly, she's been my mom. We commiserate. We're almost constantly tossing each other tips and tricks to deal with our reality. We're breast cancer survivors. Even then, I hide a lot of what I go through. She's my mom. She doesn't need to worry. She doesn't need to know about nights like tonight where my post-chemo body still can't remember how to take a proper shit, and I'm left sitting on the toilet watching the Great British Bake Off on my iPad while I dig my colon out and swear I'll remember to take my laxatives daily. Increased fiber doesn't help, trust me. Eating eight bowls of Raisin Bran a day for a while there. But she didn't have to have chemotherapy. I did. My score for recurrence is still 30% after chemotherapy. My letrozole, my monthly Zolodex, five years of this shit. And four months after chemotherapy, I'm looking at breast reconstruction after a double mastectomy. By the time I'm done with the impact of my first round of cancer, I have a real terror that I'll have just enough time to gear up for the second round, that dreaded inward, metastatic. I'm terrified that I won't see my daughter grow up. I'm terrified of leaving behind my husband, a man that I love beyond words. I'm fucking horrified my mom will blame herself. I'm horrified she already blames herself. But this is our reality. Through our illness, we've become stronger. We have a deeper understanding to help one another. And hopefully, we'll be equipped with enough experience and wisdom to help my daughter should that day come. I'd love to see a cure, but I, unfortunately, have read too much Philip K. Dick and listened to far too much punk rock 
to believe in a pink ribbon campaign for research. I believe in a corrupt healthcare system that looks to profit off illnesses such as this, but I'd hate to see my life without the Rantadine or the Ativan, the Effexor, the Advil, and don't forget the laxatives. I'll take them over castor oil. Don't worry, I call myself a hypocrite all the time. Cancer is our reality. This year, cancer taught us as a family we are far stronger than we ever gave ourselves credit for. We stripped down and hid nothing. Well, everyone but me did. I'm scared this will kill me. I'm scared I won't be there to help my daughter through. But none of these fears are going to stop me because my mom gave me so much more than cancer. She gave me strength from Glen Zeppelin. And together we formed this protest line. We're so much more than this. Mm-hmm. So much more than this. Thank you, April. Thank you for a beautiful essay. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, April and I will chat. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. My name's Ashley Lehman. I'm from Portland, Maine. I was first diagnosed when I was 29. I was 13 weeks pregnant, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I had a local recurrence at age 34. And I found wildfire to be uh, such just an important um, resource and being able to read and, and hear others' stories and feel a sense of connection there. And that these women just kind of get it. Uh, and to also be able to share and write about my own journey. And that's been incredibly important in my own healing process. Thank you so much for the love, Ashley. All right. Welcome back, April. Thank you again for your powerful writing. Thank you for let, allowing me to share it. Absolutely. I should have mentioned at the start that your essay is not only in our uh, genetics issue, but we also just republished your essay in our new book that's out right now, our Igniting the Fire <laughs> Within book. Um, I, everyone can't see you the way I can see you, but I saw that you were reading it straight out of the book. So I love that. So little shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I debated like printing it off or reading it out of the book and it seemed more fitting to read it out of the book. Feels kind of official, right? Yeah, it does. I love it. 
Well, this was, you wrote this uh, about five years ago, five plus years ago. So my first question for you is if you have any update for us, either medically or just kind of where you are these days with, with being in the breast cancer community. Um, I'm kind of out of the breast cancer community. I don't know. I'm still writing and focusing on that. Um, and just being a stay at home mom, that's what I do. Um, but medically everything's been clean so far, which I'm happy for. Yeah. Very happy to hear that. That's wonderful. So I know you just said that you're um, not really in the breast cancer community, which I also really love for you. I I so love when people are able to put it more in the in the backseat. And obviously, it's something that you and your mom both, you know, carry with you. Your daughter is aware of it. Would you say that it is um, it's totally in the rearview mirror or or Mm. how would you say that? Uh, cancer is still very much a reality for us. It's still very much a fear. Um, recently, it's still in our family. You know, recently, last night, um, a family member passed away from pancreatic cancer. So it's oh, I'm so sorry, and that fear still resides with us. I think coming away from the communities has to do more with when I came away from I when I came away from social media. And falling away from the community was just a product of that. So it wasn't really something I expected to do, but. Yeah, well, I can really relate to um, to what you're saying, because, you know, we have these different experiences in our lives that really, they build layers upon our identities. And at certain times, we need the community of others who can share that identity And then other times we don't rely on it so much, even though it is still something we think about. It it makes me think about actually um, growing up. I've shared this on the podcast before. My mom was diagnosed with a personality disorder. She had borderline personality disorder. And there was a long time when I needed other kids of moms who had a similar diagnosis because they could understand what I was going through and I could understand them. It was a whole language and a landscape that I needed to know other people lived in. And I think that's the same with breast cancer. And then you you kind of find for some people that they don't need, you know, that landscape anymore, those guides along the way quite as much or in a different way. Yeah. I, I wish I could say I didn't need it. It was just that I didn't need social media more. And <laughs> right. locally, there's just, there's not anything that I... We have a local thing called the the Warriors who like to go out and do outdoorsy stuff and sports, and that's not really my thing. I'm very introverted. My my camera's <laughs> leaning up against my sewing machine right now, so it's just like mm-hmm. that's just kind of my mom and I, and that's where that's what we're happy with, I guess. I love that. Well, and I'm glad you just brought your mom back in because one of the things I wanted to ask you was about lessons learned. And, you know, you're both, you know, navigating these years together. And in your essay, you talked about learning that you're stronger than you thought, you know, and that you can um, face hard things. Are there other lessons that have emerged as the years continue to tick by? 
yes. I think that there's a good deal of freedom that comes in accepting that you've been chronically ill um, or mortally ill in a lot of these cases. Um, and when you're dealing with like the long-term side effects and everything, I don't know about you, but I still have a lot of the long-term side effects from chemotherapy and whatnot that wreak havoc on my body. And it's taught me a lot to not judge anybody, but also to accept that, you know, my life is, is finite and it is what it is. And to do what I want to do, you know, no, I don't have to work that crappy job that I hated with the boss that was horrible to me. I don't need to stress myself out for that anymore. And it's taught both my mom and I that self-care is ridiculously important. Um, that our bond is important. And these were lessons that we didn't necessarily have before. Mm -hmm. I love that you use the word freedom, the freedom that can be had in that acceptance. Can you just say a little bit more about that? I have autism and it's, one of the things that we learn how to do as autistic is to mask everything and finding people who will see you without that mask, who not think you're weird because you have tendency to not meet people's eyes and mm. these little things. Um, it's nice. Mm. It, I, it, I can feel that. Yes. I'm sorry, I don't have a better word for it. I think freedom's a great word. Um, when you said it, I got a little bit of of goosebumps because I think that there is freedom in acceptance of these various things. It it kind of to me feels less like shame, like you're setting down that, or maybe less like fighting against something and just just being open to to accept it and and the fact that that is a lighter place of being too it is it's hard to shake like a lot of you said shame and it's hard to shake like a lot of the shame of the guilt um i did this the other day i when i gave up drinking i started drinking sprite a lot and i was angry at myself because i was i drank like three cans of sprite in a row and i'm like i need water i need water and i was so mad at myself and i'm guilting myself it's like why am i doing this sometimes i do that and it's just it's that's so a hard thing to overcome yes yes i feel like it's a constant and um you know we're this episode will air in march but you and i are recording it in january and we're in that season of people taking on, you know, resolutions and I will never do mm -hmm. this ever again or I will always do this, you know, and somewhere in between all of that is just what if I just love myself? Like what if this is just me and and I'm okay with this? Yeah. And it's yeah. been one of the hardest and most beautiful things to come out of having cancer and I think it's once that started, once you start that acceptance, it becomes even harder to accept yourself because you really start to see yourself. Um, That's true. But in the end, it's it's just weird how much programming like our brains have been through 
and how much deprogramming you do when you just walk away from it and say, I don't care about the social construct anymore. I want to wear my, my septum ring. I'll wear my septum ring. I want to do this. I want to do this. Yes. And, yes. I love that. So along these lines of acceptance, you know, we're um, also have another character in your essay, which is your daughter. And, you know, I really loved this line that you had in there about, you know, this this uh, genetic, you know, mutation or this cancer being like one more thing that maybe her teenage self will hate you for. <laughs> I'm so curious what your your relationship is like around these topics these days. Um, we talk openly about my cancer. We always have because both my husband and I have a philosophy of she's going to ask questions and we'll answer them. No, sometimes the answers won't always be suitable for her, but we'll answer them the best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, she's hilarious. And I know all mothers have issues with their daughters at some point in their lives. Um, but, you know, she knows that she'll be tested when she turns 18 to see if she can, she has the mutation. And if she does, you know, she's, we've had the discussion already with her, you know, if she does have it, we will give her options while she's still on our insurance, you know, to allow her to, if she wants to do, you know, a prophylactic, not a prophylactic, why are she, aphasia. Oh, the, uh, preventative. Uh-huh. Yes. Wonderful yeah. chemoaphasia. Um, <laughs> yeah. A preventative mastectomy um, that, you know, that would be a better thing for her to do than to have the surgical mastectomy if she carries the gene and, like, if she wants to do preventative medicine, if she wants to wait and see if it ever happens, you know, we're going to support her. And she knows that already. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of quell her fears a little bit because we've noticed that, like, coming through cancer with me it's given her a bit of fear and anxiety when it comes to illnesses going to doctors hospitals things like that yes may i ask how old she is now she is nine she's about to turn nine this year okay yep yep i know that age so when um i apologize for not knowing this but when in the process did you discover that you carried the the PAL B2. Did you know mm-hmm. that prior to your di- diagnosis? No. Or it all came at once? Um, it all came at the same time. I was diagnosed and they're like, would you like to have a test to see if this is genetic? And considering that my mom had had it, it, was, it felt kind of stupid to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure. everything kind of happened. It, one day, and it was my daughter's birthday, um, when they told me that I was going to have to have chemotherapy and what my recurrent score was and that it was genetic, like all that information came down in, on me like an hour before my daughter's birthday party. Oh my goodness. And mm. I can really um, empathize with you because I remember when I was diagnosed, all my thoughts went to her, you know, my daughter and and how this was all going to affect us. And to have to have your daughter's birthday party right there too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> keep it together the entire time. Just like, Ooh, I got this. I got this. I got, Oh God, that was a rough day. I bet. I bet. So I want to ask you about writing and the role that maybe writing plays in your life these days. Is it something that you do frequently? Is it something you dip in and out of like where, how does it sit with you these days? 
I had dipped out of it for a while. I'm back into it now. Um, I'm currently researching for a novel um, that I am writing about my mother's people, the um, Volga Germans and their journey um, to the United States. I'm researching to write about that. And that's what I do full time now, Mm, which I'm excited for. Yes, that's wonderful. It's so wonderful to have, uh, you know, a purpose, a passion, all those things and to feel inspired. I, yeah, I love that feeling. Well, that is wonderful. What got me back into writing actually was the uh, journal that you had posted on the wildfire website. Yes. I saw that printed it out and like, that's what got me back in my loop when I had just walked away for a little while. Uh, that's so great to hear. I love the power of, you know, a few little writing prompts to kind of get the wheels turning and just give us this feeling of, I don't know, it's like, you know, turning over stones and seeing what's underneath. Even when you think you know all the stones, there can be surprising things. Was oh, yeah. writing about your mom's people something you kind of had kicking around in the back of your mind, or is this a brand new inspiration? It's something that's always been kind of kicking around in the back of my mind. Um, my grand, I, when I was younger, my grandmother would tell me the stories from um, that she remembered from Russia, what it meant to be Volga German and everything. Um, and she would always tell me, we're not American, we're not this, we're not that, we're Volga, we're Volga Germans. And so that was kind of the inspiration and just learning what that meant. Um, my grandfather was World War II to, he served in World War II after coming to the United States as an immigrant. And it's just interesting history that I'd like to write about. I just, I really like that you're bringing this up here because it's just like another layer in understanding yourself and in understanding your legacy from your mom and the connection. And it just feels like this big quilt, you know, in these different layers, different, you know, panels have different stories and your interpretation of it and in, in writing, you know, a novel about it is kind of this it's a different way of owning a story and, and taking on the power of that story in a way that personal. For sure. Um, I didn't get to know my grandparents that well. So it's in my way, it's my way of learning about them and being close to them. Absolutely. Yes. Well, April, thank you so much for being here with me today and for reading your essay. I know you're not on social, so you might not have an answer to this question, but is there a place that people can find you and read more writing from you? Um, I have a website that I haven't updated in forever, the disconnect.com, but outside of that, not really. Fair enough. Fair enough. People will be able to find your essay in our genetics issue, as I mentioned, as well as in the book, Igniting the Fire Within. Again, April, your essay was called From Mom, I Got Strength, Led Zeppelin, and Pal B2. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. (laughs) Well, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. 
Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really tell everyone you know, or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. And finally, here is your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping your editing. What lessons did you learn from your mom or your mom figure about your body? These could be lessons that were literally taught to you or lessons you learned from observing and absorbing how your mom treated her own body. What lessons did you learn from your mom about your body? Eight minutes, right without stopping, seed what needs to come up and come out and where it will take you. Do you find you write best with a good prompt? There are more prompts available to you in the free journal companion to this podcast. Head over to wildfire.org slash the burn to get yours. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.